Hello and welcome to Afroqueer. I'm your host, Sally Chum. This is Sophia Taloni. She's a trans woman and a Moroccan online celebrity. She was a model before she started her career as a beauty influencer. Sophia has over 620,000 Instagram followers. Most of them are women. Her nightly broadcasts attract over 100,000 views. Her fans would say that she's spontaneous, entertaining, and openly talks about her transgender identity. But Sophia is also a controversial figure. Despite being a trans woman, she often finds herself at odds with the LGBT community. In one live stream, Sophia denigrates HIV prevention groups in Morocco, saying they contribute to the spread of queerness. In another one, she delivered a series of transphobic insults against a transgender man. And most recently, on April 13th, she invited her followers to set up fake accounts on gay dating apps. To be more specific, Sophia told her straight female followers who think they don't know any gay men to go to Planet Romeo, Grinder, and Hornet. She showed her followers exactly how these apps work and told them they might just find their own husbands there. While at home, amid the coronavirus lockdown, gay Moroccan men, many of them not out, were tricked into sharing photos of themselves. This is the YouTuber TGQ explaining what happened. Friends have been, like, their pictures are literally out there. Nudes and everything. Conversations and making fun of them and stuff. Oh. And it's kind of scary to talk about because this, I don't think it ever happened in this caliber. I mean, heterosexual people have always been on Grindr. But it, it, it hasn't been in this scale. Sophia's invitation to her followers sparked a hate campaign. Over 100 men were catfished. The New York Times reported that three men had been kicked out of their homes, while journalist Hashim Tahir reported that a young man in Rabat had committed suicide out of desperation. Sophia released a statement explaining that she wanted to unmask the hypocrisy of gay Moroccan men, who she said were living closeted lives. But LGBT activists in Morocco denounced Sophia, saying that for many LGBT people, being out is not an option. Homosexuality is criminalized. In a time where COVID-19 has made it hard for people to meet in person, apps like Hornet and Grindr become the only place to find community. This made Sophia's actions even more painful. It also revealed the fragile balance in Morocco between a glamorous social media LGBT culture and the harsh reality for the majority of LGBT people on the ground. In 2019, another story of being outed in Morocco made the headlines. This time, the story did not involve a celebrity, but a young medical assistant named Manal, whose run-in with the police would be caught on video and spark a public debate about LGBT people in the country. At the time, Manal went by her birth name, Shafiq, which is a very common Arabic name for males, the gender she was assigned at birth. But today, she goes by the name Manal and uses the pronouns she and her. We interviewed Manal in French, 
For this episode, her voice will be performed by Moroccan trans activist Sadika. Voilà, mon père est un professeur. When my father was a teacher, my mother is a housewife. We're a very small family. I only have one brother. He's older than me. Manal, who is 35, was born into a religious, middle-class Moroccan family. She remembers a happy childhood. She was good at school. She adored her mother and loved to listen to Chep Hasni on the radio. During hot and dry afternoons, she played cops and robbers with her older brother. But she also began to discover new things about herself. I always feel this interest in makeup. Sometimes, even when I was in school, I was using my mother's makeup behind her back. At 16, most of my friends were girls. But I wasn't attracted to girls. Not at all. And never. On the contrary, I was always very attracted to men. When she was a teenager, the only LGBT person Manal knew about was a beautiful transgender belly dancer called Noor, who she would see on television and in the movies. But even though Noor was accepted and a celebrity, most of the LGBT population was rejected. It's a shame to be homosexual. It's a big shame. I was always scared that someone will find out. Then it will be a big problem for me. For Manal, being gay or even being a transgender woman were not options. So she suppressed that part of her, and she decided to focus on her career. I obtained a high school diploma in 2003, and I was admitted to the army as a medical secretary in the health military department in Rabat. When I was in the army, all my actions were controlled. It's not like being a civilian. The army is different. You risk going to jail for the smallest things. It's not just about your sexual orientation. It can even be for not being on time for work. There are so many rules. You need to be disciplined in everything. You need to be exemplary in everything. It made me depressed because the military system was very rigid and I was very fragile inside. I went into a deep depression and I was hospitalized for a week. But around this time, Manal rediscovered something from her childhood that gave her courage. A gay friend of mine came and visited me. He enjoys wearing makeup sometimes. And he told me, you know what? Let's try some makeup on you. And he put makeup on both our faces. It was a revelation. It's like finding someone that was lost. I found myself in this. Taking a mirror and applying makeup. I've learned to become better and better at it. I was watching YouTube videos on how to apply makeup, on how to make it look professional. But when I was doing it, I was only doing it at home, alone. One day, a colleague found a picture of Manal on her private Facebook wearing makeup. And that was when it began. He shared the pictures with other colleagues, and I was called by human resources. They told me I would dismiss overnight because of that. At 30 years old, she lost the only job she had ever known, and she also became homeless. Manal couldn't even live at her parents' house because she didn't want to tell them the circumstances around how she had lost her job. I've always lived away from my family, so they don't understand. I keep a reasonable distance between me and them so we can respect each other. After several months of barely surviving without work, 
she moved to Marrakesh and found a job in a private hospital as a medical assistant. Finally, I surpassed the hard times I lived after being fired. I started afresh. I was fine. I had a car, I had an apartment, everything went fine. The only thing that had always prevented me from going out at night was that I was a member of the army. I had to respect that, being a soldier. By becoming a civilian, I could go out the way I wanted. So for the first time in her life, Manal discovered intimate relationships. In 2012, I had my first experience. Before, I could be interested in someone, a neighbor, a colleague, and inside of me, I liked him. I was trying to become his friend, but I never lived any real sexual relationship. I had no big love stories. After 10 years in the army, love stories could wait, but fun could not. Marrakesh is famous for its exciting nightlife, where many LGBT Moroccans find queer community. Honestly, there is a special atmosphere in Marrakesh, something you can't find anywhere else. Cafes, cabarets, nightclubs. This is Marrakesh. It's a Western city in a sense. You can find swimming pools with people performing striptease around the pool. The law that criminalizes homosexuality does not apply to non-Moroccans. And cities like Marrakesh and Casablanca attract a high number of gay tourists. So while some gay foreigners are able to express their sexuality and live almost freely, Manal knew that as a Moroccan, the only rule was to never get caught by anyone outside of the LGBT community. You must be extra careful in the street. For instance, every two weeks, I go out on Saturday. I discreetly sneak out of my apartment dressed as a woman. I use my car, I spend the night out, and I go home without drawing any attention from the neighbors or anybody. For five years, Manal lived her best life. By day, she was working as a valued medical assistant. But by night, she was a well-known party animal, dressing up as a gorgeous woman, going from cabarets to nightclubs, meeting people from all over the world, and flirting with strangers. It should have lasted forever. But on New Year's Eve 2019, everything changed. Honestly, this was an unforgettable date in my life. The evening before, I had eaten a cake at home, I had prepared a light dinner, brushed my hair. I mean, not really my hair, but a wig. I had applied my makeup and I was dressed with a blue dress. I got in my car to go to the cabaret. I stayed two hours in a place and I decided to change clothes. It was too early to go home. I just wanted to change the location. Around 3 a.m. in the morning, I had a small collision with a motorbike. He was at fault. A police officer came to do an accident report. He asked for my driver's license. Everything was in order. But he was shocked by my clothing. He was a homophobic officer. He asked me, leave the car. Picture yourself being arrested by a hostile policeman while wearing a short blue dress at 3 a.m. on New Year's Eve. The street was full of people and they were starting to surround the vehicle. I told the policeman, I can't leave the car. Do any report you want, but why would I leave the car? And I was surprised by his violent reaction. He smashed the front windscreen with his baton 
seized me with his hand from the outside and made me leave the car. And then he pushed me to the ground. Things escalated quickly. Manal was hurt. People in the crowd began to hurl insults, while others filmed on their cell phones. The police officer arrested her and took her to the station. In the early part of the morning, the police finally let Manal leave, but not without asking for money. For a New Year's dinner at the station, they said. I got back home, took a shower. I slipped and charged my phone. I woke up around 2 p.m. It was a disaster. As soon as I had turned my phone on, I received messages from all my friends. They sent me the video of me under arrest. The video was published and it was posted and reposted on all social media, like Facebook or Instagram, everywhere. At first, Manal denied everything. She told her friends and family that it wasn't her. But when her original ID documents were finally posted online, presumably by one of the police officers, she felt trapped. I told myself, is this a dream? All of the media was talking about it. They kept on calling me. They all wanted an interview with me. And I could not say anything because I was still in Morocco and I knew that anything could be held against me. During those first days, Manal was constantly recognized on the streets. She was harassed by journalists and bullied online. Although she lived alone in Marrakesh, her mother called her almost every day. My mother didn't stop talking to me, not even one day. She said, you're my son, and I accept you the way you are. But her father stopped talking to her overnight, and Manal felt lonelier than ever. I had a nervous breakdown. Luckily, I called the doctor I knew from work, and I told her, I need your help. Her office was closed, but she offered me some sessions and a medical treatment to help me to sleep and to calm down. Thanks to the help of a psychiatrist, Manal found energy to fight back. She contacted Betty Lashka, the founder of Mali, one of the few LGBT-friendly organizations in Morocco. We had to reassure her because she didn't understand what suddenly happened. She was in terrible distress, completely confused. When Betty met Manal, Manal still went by the name Shafiq and used he and him pronouns. In this translation of Betty's interview, we have amended the pronouns to reflect how Manal identifies. Manal stayed with Betty at her apartment for a few weeks, and they came up with a strategy to fight back against the media attention. We did what we could. We explained all the options. She met people, including a journalist who works with us a lot. All the media wanted to interview her, and she didn't know the good people to talk to. Manal admits that she didn't know anything about politics and LGBT rights before her arrest. But after meeting Betty and reading articles and learning new things each day, she felt more confident accepting interviews with the media. The more Manal's story got out there, the more attention it got. And people were saying, we should kill him. This is against Islam. This is against nature. This YouTuber is calling Manal a zamel, a faggot in Arabic, in a video viewed more than a million times. Manal was upset, but she also began to notice she had supporters. Some people stood by me and they advocated for me. A lot of YouTubers, they really stood by my side, telling great things about me. The 
The Moroccan author Abdella Taya wrote in the French newspaper La Monde that it was the first time that anonymous people, Moroccan human rights activists, and YouTube personalities publicly advocated on behalf of the victim, blaming the police instead of the transgender woman. He saw Manal's case as a turning point for all LGBT Moroccans. Betty agrees. Ten years ago, we were the only one. The human rights or feminist organizations never mentioned LGBT rights. Now more organizations talk about that. Our base continues to grow. But Betty also noted a rise of stigmatization. To her, it's a reaction against the growing visibility of the LGBT movement. No longer wanting to be hidden, more LGBT Moroccans are pushing for LGBT rights. This is seen as a westernization of the Moroccan identity. And the risks of gay bashing and mob justice are now paradoxically bigger today than they used to be. Unfortunately, I must be honest with you. For this kind of issue, the more the media talks about it and the more it opens a Pandora's box, bringing more opponents. So yeah, there is a rise of homophobic violence because the fight is becoming more and more important and more and more publicized. This is a reality. For Manal, the most pressing issue isn't legalizing homosexuality, but creating space for LGBT people to feel safe and protected in their own country, even when you're not rich and not famous. Today, when you're gay, anybody can come and blackmail or attack you. And if you go to the police, they will put you in jail. They should enforce a law to protect us. But the problem with Morocco is that there is a big difference between people. There is a very famous dancer that was very welcome in Morocco. Even though she's trans, you may find her in all the big social events, official weddings. In her passport, she's still a man. She didn't change her name, but she's transgender, so why did the police not come to punish her? Manal is referring to Noor Talbi, the transgender belly dancer who fascinated her when she was a child. Noor has been a fixture at society parties for years. But Noor, as a well-known entertainer, might not have received the same treatment at the hands of the police that Manal did. How can they treat citizens and personalities so differently? How is it possible that a person, a very known star, may be protected and even exposed in high society events, and another one is abused? Manal says gender fluidity in Morocco may be accepted as long as it's on stage or social media, but not in the street. That's what has broken my heart the most, the justice here. Where is the justice? Thanks to the support of colleagues, Manal came back to work after a month away. The charges against her were finally dropped by the Ministry of Justice, but she was still attacked and blackmailed online, and sometimes in real life. She made a decision. I applied for a tourist visa to leave Morocco because there was no life for me after this terrible event. Getting a tourist visa for France was hard, but after six months, Manal was able to book a ticket to Paris. She didn't tell anyone she was leaving. I packed my things. I gave my apartment keys to a colleague who also drove me to the airport. Once in France, I called my family. When she arrived, Manal stayed at a friend's house for three weeks. She found navigating France challenging. I didn't even know how to take the subway or the train 
or even the bus. It's not easy. Manal applied for asylum, but couldn't find any room in the emergency housing provided by the French state. Every day, there are new asylum seekers. Every single day. Eventually, she found a place on her own. And she finally had space to be herself. Now, I am dressed how I want all the time, 24 hours a day. I live my life as a trans woman all day long. And honestly, I feel good. Very, very good. She misses Marrakesh sometimes. But she enjoys feeling completely safe partying in the gay district of Paris. I go out, I have a big network of friends. We go to the Red Bar, to the Banana, all these places. It's like our own city. You find rainbow flags everywhere. But leaving your home country is never easy. What is frightening me the most are my parents, frankly. I'm thinking about them very often. They are getting old and I'm worried. If anything that could happen to them, I would be far and I can't even go back to Morocco. But what is really difficult, as I am such an active person, is being unemployed. I need to wait for my refugee status. But the most difficult for me is dead time. Because you do nothing. You eat, you sleep, you go out. That's it. That's not my life. But Manal cannot imagine going back to Morocco. She's thinking about medical surgery and feels like there are too many dangers for a transgender woman in her home country. And the controversy raised by Sophia Taloni, the influencer we spoke about at the beginning of the episode, has just strengthened her feelings that she doesn't belong there anymore. Manal actually knows Sophia. She reached out to her when her assault video first went viral. She rushed to my defense. She even sent me personal messages. She told me, come and join me in Turkey if you need a place to stay. She was very well known as a good person. But now she expresses ideas that I don't even understand. She should know that we are at risk in this country. She even said that policemen only attack homosexuals who are provocative. But she knew what happened to me, though. She knew that I wasn't looking for trouble. Watching Sofia Taloni's provocative videos was unbearable for Manal. And she even tried to reason with her. I sent her text to tell her, how can you say such things? You know what happened to me. You watch my video. You watch the police abuse. There are a lot of homosexuals in Morocco, but they must hide. They can't openly say I'm gay. They have to hide who they are. I was like them. I couldn't tell. After what happened to me, I had the courage to tell who I was. Now, I'm proud of who I am. But I think it's because something horrible happened to me. After all I've been through, nothing worse can happen to me. It made me a very strong person.
Manal's story was reported and produced by Amelie Bertoleyengo. This episode was produced by me, Sally Chum, Ida Halinambi, and Mae Francis. Rachel Wamoto is our social media manager, and Tevin Sudi is our sound editor. Our theme song is Power by Maya and the Big Sky. Afroqueer is committed to casting trans actors for trans roles. In this episode, the voice of Manal was played by Sadika. If you want to hear another story that our team worked on, head over to the TED podcast, Pin Drop, where host Salim Rashamwala journeys across the globe in search of the world's most surprising and imaginative ideas. The Afroqueer team are producers on the episode set in Nairobi, which explores the Afro bubblegum art movement. Here's an excerpt. Our country's motto is peace, love, and unity. I've never been anywhere that wants to just embody the spirit of that, like this country. And our job is to try and, and work our way towards that. And in the process, remember that we are the f- highest versions of ourselves and continuously see that as an image rather than images that are so often in the media about hate or anger or violence, you know? We are glorious. We are joyful. We are resilient. We are resplendent. And I think those images should be our homing beacon. And that's really why I started thinking about ideas about Afro-bubblegum. What's cool about the word Afro-bubblegum is that as soon as you hear it, you kind of get what it is. Afro-bubblegum is fun, fierce, and frivolous African art. It's art for art's sake. It's art for the sake of joy. I felt that we were missing out on being joyous and allowing ourselves to be joyous. Because so often, especially when you decide to become an artist from this side of the world, instead of being something more serious like a doctor or a lawyer or whatever your family expects of you, they expect you to make serious work. And she felt the weight of what that seriousness should be. And she'd seen that seriousness disproportionately represented in stories that came out of Africa. Stories of war and hunger or corruption or disease, as if our stories are only about overcoming. And our stories are are never about joy. (laughs) And if we don't see ourselves as, as people of joy and we don't represent our own images as images of joy, then how do we know we're worthy? If seeing is believing and we don't see ourselves as joyful people, how do we know that that is something that we can work towards or we can attain or something that belongs to us. So I started to look for joy in our art and saw that it had always existed. We've always been a people of joy and and we should celebrate that. Um, And and Afro Bubblegum was part of that conversation. You can subscribe and hear the whole episode by searching Pindrop wherever you listen to podcasts. Afroqueer is supported by Google and PRX, as well as the Wellspring Philanthropic Fund, the Ford Foundation, and the Dune Foundation. I'm Sally Chum. Thanks for listening. Bowani-i.